Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Topics on today's episode include an interview with my dad, Rob Chrisman, on what to expect at the National Secondary in New York City this upcoming week, and a further look at how producer prices are passed on to consumers. English grammar, what a hassle. Is it lay or lie? Are you sure you're using them correctly? Then versus then? One should use then only with a comparative adjective like taller than, faster than, as in apocalypse now is better than the deer hunter. Then is used for time, like at that moment or after. You know, I lost $100 at blackjack. I then lost another $100 in craps. Speaking of gambling losses, you ever heard of loss aversion? a theory which behavioral economists will tell you drives many of our financial decisions. People feel the pain of losses much more than they feel the pleasure of gains. Empirical studies suggest that losing is twice as painful as winning is enjoyable. So, people will go to great lengths to avoid losses and recover what they've lost. Politicians often play on this. Voters have lost the good old days and want them back and They should fear their political opponent because they will lose even more of their lives. Loss aversion makes people cautious. Offered the choice between $500 and a 50% chance at $1,000 or nothing, most people take the sure thing. But once people have sustained losses, impulses change dramatically. Offered the choice between losing $500 and a 50% chance of losing $1,000 or nothing, most people prefer to gamble. This is why people hold falling stocks hoping for a rebound rather than cutting their losses. And it's why they double down after losing a bet. For today's interview, I wanted to welcome back onto the podcast, Rob Chrisman, a man many of you think I am, but as I remind him every time I beat him in tennis and Monopoly, I'm much better then. Let's talk about the annual secondary conference in New York City which a lot of people will get in this weekend and parties start on Sunday, meetings, uh, seminars, more company-hosted events are on Monday. What are you looking forward to? For me, the conference kicks off with the Capital Markets Committee meeting, which is at 3 o'clock on Sunday. And I have a few meetings, and then you're right, there are events. I'm going to a dinner, for example, Sunday night, and then the sessions really begin in earnest and and are carried out on Monday and Tuesday. Wednesday, things really die down. And there are basically two parts to every conference. The first is the sessions where there are canned presentations about what's going on with the Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and the investor climate and non-QM and so forth and so on, credit availability. And then there's the second part, which is the reception part of it, more the social part where there are dinners and events where you can rub shoulders with people that you've known for, for years and years or meet new people. And it's good to have a balance of the two because the the formal knowledge that capital markets people learn in the sessions can have a direct impact on the rates and their pricing and execution and so forth and help their companies. 
But also the second part of it, which is the social part, is important just informally to hear what people are doing and seeing and, and exchanging tips on what all is going on out there. And I think that's very, very important because you do learn a lot from your fellow capital markets people and CEOs and managers and so forth, just about the business climate in general. You had always told me that the two parts were the first being party and the second part being gutter or hangover. That's not true. I've changed my tune. <laughs> what is the the chatter going into the conference? Obviously, obviously this is different than like the NBA annual that was in San Diego where all different types of people in the industry come. This is this is focused on secondary marketing. What's the chatter out there? The chatter is that there isn't a whole lot going on in terms of capital markets and, and new execution. The, the non-QM lenders are out there banging their drum as they should. The non-QM business is expected to pick up dramatically this year. And is it going to be the predominant lending going forward? No, there's still execution issues and underwriting issues and so forth. And those are typically harder to do deals. So they typically take longer. But in terms of execution, you still have Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, Chase, Wells Fargo, Amerihome, Penny Mac. Uh, you've got the, the big wholesalers that are out there, Freedom and United Wholesale and Rocket and Plaza and Loan Depot. I imagine some of this, some of the talk will center around the valuations of these companies having you know, watch them and their stock price sink for the last year, year and a half. It's been very dramatic. And the overall climate, though, there's not a lot new in terms of execution. You know, there's a few basis points here, a few basis points there. There are ways of hedging. There's no new methods of hedging per se, but some of the hedge vendors that are out there rolled out some pretty nifty software packages lately. And I think that'll be talked about at the, uh, at the conference as well. I think when it comes to hedging, one of the biggest areas for pickup for lenders is reducing delivery times and increasing the efficiency of the loan and the, and the selling process and the post-closing process, because we're seeing, uh, we're seeing more and more basis point charges for each day it takes to deliver a loan. So those companies that have efficient processes in place are the ones that are really set to benefit. I want to talk quickly about those public companies because once a quarter, it kind of comes to the, the forefront. The last two years were as good as anyone can remember in mortgage banking. And yet a lot of these companies saw their stock prices fall. Now we're going into what is expected to be a, or what, what is already a low refinance environment, higher rates. So a lot of people that were thinking about purchasing a home have been swayed against that. What, what could or would turn around stock prices of these, these publicly traded mortgage companies? The elimination of their competition. The lending environment is very tough now. We all knew it was going to be tough. We have millions and millions of borrowers out there who have two and three quarters, 30-year fixed rate loans who are, are really in no great hurry to get a rate and term refi. They can you know, perhaps improve their financial picture if they've run up a lot of credit card debt, which is at 10 or 15 or 20% or whatever credit card debt is at these days. So mortgage rates obviously are still far below that. But 
if you look at the basic business models, the basic business models are, are relatively similar between the publicly held, you know, Home Point and Home Depot and Rocket and United Wholesale. And yeah, they've, they've got each one has some characteristics that are different, but overall, it's the same business model in general. And they all kind of go up and go down together. And you know, if you eliminate some of their competition, they'll pick up some market share and be ready for the next you know, wave of, of business because it is a cyclical business and things will come back. So the ability to outlast their competitors, I think, will be uh, of great importance. Outlasting competitors is one strategy, but we've also seen M&A activity pick up here. Is New York a time for people to potentially put out feelers to make deals? Do you, do you anticipate the M&A space to continue to be strong? What, what are your thoughts there? It'll definitely be strong going forward for the rest of the year, probably into next year. The capital markets and secondary marketing personnel who tend to focus on these conferences, that they're not the ones you know, discussing M&A. They may discuss it generally, but there are a fair number of CEOs and owners who will be there, and that'll, that could easily be a talk there. But I'll tell you, a lot of that just happens away from, from conferences. And as I said earlier, the, the type of people who are mostly populating this conference aren't the ones actively involved in M&A discussions or negotiations. Let's end on a personal question. Outside of all the conference activities, what's your favorite thing to do in New York? I know every time I see you there, you're taking a selfie with Elmo in Times Square. So maybe something aside from that. Besides singing along with a naked cowboy, <laughs> I think the, the people need to get away from the Marriott and get out of Times Square and head north up to Central Park or walk a block or two off of Broadway and then heads north or south, just immerse themselves in the architecture and the buzz because Times Square is filled with people from Iowa and Kansas and Alaska and California. And it's not really New York and it's too crowded for my liking. New York has a lot of great things um, that to offer. Uh, last time I was there, I went down to the uh, 9-11 museum and Memorial. I think that was, uh, that was worthwhile. There's the meatpacking area. I went to the Tenement Museum. That was interesting. But just hop on a subway and go, you know, up or down two or three or four stops, go up to Harlem. I mean, just to get out of Times Square, I think, would be, is, is a benefit. So you say hop on the subway. As someone who lived there for several months last year, I would say if you can find an electric city bike, you can get around town a lot faster than an Uber or a cab. And also, you won't break a sweat. And uh, they're, they're pretty fun and, and uh, very inexpensive. So that's my advice. Maybe, maybe before a party with uh, open bar versus after. <laughs> there you go. All right. Looking forward to seeing you out in New York. And uh, I'm sure Myrtle will hold down the Christmas LLC fort in your absence. Yes, I, I believe she will. All right. We'll see you in New York. Risk-off sentiment was the name of the game yesterday, as investors are now fully convinced the Fed will make a serious attempt at quashing inflation. 
which will hurt global growth prospects. The flight to safe haven assets is beginning to cause a rally in bonds, with mortgage-backed securities lagging, as usual. Yesterday's $22 billion 30-year bond auction was met with solid demand, capping this week's note and bond auction slate. What does it mean for mortgage rates? Well, the rear-facing primary mortgage market survey from Freddie Mac saw mortgage rates mixed, though holding near the highest level since 2009 in the case of the 30-year and 15-year rates. The 30-year rate rose 3 basis points to 5.30%, with the 15-year rate slipping 4 basis points to 4.48%. Meanwhile, as adjustable rate mortgages, ARMS, became more popular, the 5-1 hybrid ARM rate rose 2 basis points to 3.98%. San Francisco Fed President Daly said a 75 basis point increase in the Fed funds rate is not a primary consideration yesterday, but backed raising interest rates by a half percentage point at each of the central bank's next two meetings, adding she'd like to see financial conditions tighten further. She said that, quote, There's no reason right now that I see in the economy to pause on doing 50 basis point increases in the next couple of meetings, end quote. Speaking of the Fed, the Senate voted to confirm Jerome Powell for a second four-year term as Fed chair in a bipartisan 80 to 19 vote. Powell reiterated the likelihood of half-point hikes in June and July. The vote to confirm the Fed chair had been delayed for months as senators deliberated over other nominees President Biden had made for the central bank. Sarah Bloom Raskin withdrew her name following controversy over her appointment, while Lisa Cook and Philip Jefferson were only recently confirmed as governors. As mentioned yesterday, producer prices for April matched headline expectations, while the core reading was a bit cooler than expected. The headline year-over-year growth rate slowed to 11% from an upwardly revised 11.5% in March, while the core reading slowed to 8.8% from an upwardly revised 9.6% in March. Month over month, inflation at the wholesale level rose 0.5% in April, decelerating from the 1.5% increase we saw in March and 1.1% we saw in February. Even with the deceleration in month over month increases and moderation in year over year changes, inflation rates for producers remain at high levels, and the Fed will likely stick to its schedule and hike rates 50 basis points at the June meeting. Profit margins for producers become pressured if these increased costs are not passed along to consumers. Today's economic calendar is underway with April import and export prices, which came in flat and up 0.6% respectively, versus expectations of coming in up 0.5% and 1% respectively month over month, compared with 2.6% and 4.5% previously. Ahead of us are the preliminary May University of Michigan sentiment and remarks from Minneapolis Fed President Kashkari and Cleveland Fed President Mester. Yesterday afternoon, the desk released the new MBS purchase estimate for the May 13th to June 13th period which is the last estimate to not include a taper. That taper is for $17.5 billion in the next period before hitting $35 billion three months later. The desk also released a new schedule covering the May 13th to 26th period, containing the same coupons as the prior schedule with 30-year operations targeting 3.5% through 4.5% and 15-year operations targeting 3% and 3.5%. Today's schedule sees the desk purchasing up to $1.7 billion of 3.5% through 4.5%. We begin the day with agency MBS prices worse a solid eighth and the tenure yielding 2.90 after closing yesterday at 2.82%. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. I couldn't remember the name of the dresses that ballerinas wear. Then I put two and two together. <laughs> Thanks again to today's podcast sponsor. Simple Nexus, the homeownership platform that unites the people, 
systems, and stages of the mortgage process into one seamless end-to-end solution that spans engagement, origination, closing, and business intelligence. To learn more about Simple Nexus, an Encino company, visit simplenexus.com. If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.